one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new, your lesson this week. Sydney's criminal underworld after the 1918 flu pandemic. Your teacher is Nerida Campbell, curator at Sydney's Justice and Police Museum, who joins us on the line. Nerida, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, yeah, Sydney 1919. They're going through something a little bit similar to what we've been going through. It's quite a... It's quite a criminal town, and I guess part of the reason, the one thing that is different, is it's also the end of the First World War, and people are coming back often often quite broken by that experience. They are. I mean, Sydney during that period was a really remarkable city. We had soldiers coming back from the war, many of them, you know, damaged because of their experiences, trying to settle back into family life, trying to get jobs, trying to make things work, and then, bam, the flu hits. And, you know, we go through a situation not that different to what we're going through now where, you know, schools are closing, pubs are closing, the borders are being closed, people's movement is being um, really curtailed within Sydney and people are living in fear. You know, this is a, a type of influenza where someone could speak to you on the street in the morning and be dead by the afternoon. So a period of real instability in Sydney. And the police force also impacted by the war. They're massively understaffed, aren't they? They are. Um, the police commissioner at that time was saying they were probably within the metropolitan area about 300 men, and it was men, you know, with one exception. We had one female officer at that time who were doing that work. And then the flu comes along and you have another three to 400 officers down with flu. So it was a time when it was really hard for the police to actually sort of manage the criminal underworld in Sydney. They also had all of these additional things that they were required to do. So the water police were looking after quarantine, you know, trying to manage people with flu coming in, um, people who were breaking regulations, like having, you know, a little bit of an illegal gambling night and, you know, having too many people in their homes. So the police would have to come in and break up those kinds of things. So they had more work to do but less men to do it. Yeah, it's so similar to now, isn't it? The controversy over Rushcutters Bay, whether the police are too heavy-handed, etc., etc. This is all happening back then. It's all happening back then, as well as, you know, people um, policing each other, I suppose. So, for instance, um, you had to wear a mask if you're travelling on public tra- transport or if you're in a small space indoors and people would report each other you know for not or use social kind of pressure to ensure that people were wearing masks but the police still found quite a few people often younger people who weren't wearing masks and they could be prosecuted for that so for instance in 1919 a young woman called Eileen Lee she was 19 she was actually the daughter of the sly grog queen Kate Lee was traveling on a tram down Oxford Street and one of her fellow passengers tipped off a police officer that she didn't have a mask on and so she was actually you know she had to appear before a court and she was fined 20 shillings which is about 80 dollars um, in today's money and she said she did have a mask but she was wearing it around her chin <laughs> the other thing we think about, we, you know, if we think about this period, we think about the pandemic, we think about the end of World War One. We also think about, you know, the Charleston and the flapper era and the cowboy movie. Were, were these things from overseas influencing Sydney as well? They absolutely were. So you sort of go from this really dreadful war flu into the roaring 20s where there's remarkable change and a real sort of sense of optimism, particularly amongst the younger generation. So we would see movies coming, influencing the way people thought or dressed. They also influenced 
the underworld. So you mentioned cowboy movies. There was this young guy called Wolfram Larson who decided that he was going to hold up the Forbes mail train, which was quite an, quite an endeavour. Um, so what he did was waited out in the bush just where the train had to slow down to get onto um, an uneven part of the track and he jumped into the driver's carriage and drivers of trains at that time were quite burly and the driver sort of picked him up and threw him out of the train. But the remarkable thing about him was that Larson had decided to dress as a cowboy. So he had the cowboy hat that he'd picked up, he had a cowboy costume, belt and a bandana around his face. Um, so he was picked up by the police and arrested. And when they said to him, why were you dressed as a cowboy? Why were you, you know, pretending you're in the Wild West? He said, I think I've been watching a few too many cowboy movies. Too many cowboy movies, are not a very good disguise. Nerida Campbell is with us from the Justice and Police Museum. Lots of, uh, you know, he's a bloke, but there's lots of women in this criminal underworld in Sydney at this time. There are. I mean, there are young flappers who are going out and getting into trouble um, in the jazz halls of the city. But we also have the sort of hardened campaigners. So people like Kate Lee, who was known as the queen of the underworld. She ran the sly grog business in Sydney. So at this time, you couldn't legally buy alcohol after 6pm at night. So there was a lot of money to be made out of people who just wanted to have a, you know, a bit of a drink with their mates after work. And she capitalised on that. And then there was Tilly Devine, who um, was running brothels throughout the inner city um, area and making a lot of money out of the girls who worked for her as well. Those two didn't like each other. They fought quite a bit. Um, but it was a remarkable period that we had two women who were so dominant in the criminal underworld. They're the kind of the big figures of the criminal milieu at the time. But there's also smaller players, and some of them are fascinating. They seem to love having nicknames. One, one fellow designated himself as the Hawk. The Hawk, yes. It's a bit pathetic when you've got to give yourself your own nickname, but he chose to do that. He was um, a young guy called Richard Williams, and he was breaking into houses in Sydney's east. And what he'd do after he broke in and stole, you know, quite a sizable amount of goods, you know, a thousand pounds per place almost. Um, he'd leave little notes for the police and the homeowner with things like, this is going to give my lady friend great pleasure, your whiskey is par excellence, those kinds of um, notes. But he also um, considered himself to be, he was a seaman, um, he travelled the world and he considered himself to be highly educated, so he liked to leave notes in different languages as well or, you know, leave Latin phrases. Um, so he, he would leave um, little phrases like multum in parvo, which roughly translates to you had much in a small space. He'd got good pickings from that house, obviously. His undoing was when he started sketching pictures of ostrich feathers, three of them, which is the heraldic badge associated with the Prince of Wales, and then also the motto underneath, Ic Dien, which was the motto of the Black Prince, again associated with Wales, which led police to him as a Welshman so he'd sort of given away his identity through his taunting notes and then was sent off to prison for a period of time. Yeah far too clever by half. There, there are a lot, lot, lot of nicknames though at the time aren't there? There are I mean there was another guy who went by Apache and he had taken that name from the um, French criminal gangs of the earlier part of the, the century and he would break into um, 
coffee shops and factories in the city. And again, he would leave notes. Um, he was a really bad criminal in that he wasn't very successful. He was just this gormless 18-year-old who tried to break into safes. He had no skills with tools and no knowledge of safes. So he was highly unsuccessful. So he'd leave notes saying, allow me to congratulate you on your choice of safe. Son of a gun, it sure is tough. And he was using all of these weird Americanisms to try to get the police to think that he was an American. But in fact, he was a South African-born um, guy who'd come out here. He never successfully broke into any of the safes. All he managed to steal and he was caught on those in the city. Nerida, we might leave it there because you're breaking up, but thank you very much for the lesson. Sorry about the audio quality towards the end there. Uh, your lesson this week was Sydney's criminal underworld after the 1918 flu pandemic, and our teacher has been Nerida Campbell, who's the curator at Sydney's Justice and Police Museum. Uh, you can listen again online at abc.net.au slash sydney. Next week, the ABC's language expert, Tiger Webb. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.